You are listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. For more information about our church, please visit www.hopechurchipswich.net. Good morning. Morning. (laughs) It's good to be back uh, with you this morning. Um, This time last week, um, you were praying me off as I went to go and preach at Ipswich Community Church. Had a great time with them. We enjoy a really good relationship with so, so many churches in this town. And um, in particular, over the last couple of years, we've been really getting to know the guys at uh, Ipswich Community Church well, and it was just great to be with them and to encourage them. So thank you for releasing me, and thank you for praying for me uh, last week. I'm going to um, continue our mini Advent series this morning. Uh, If you have a Bible with you, you might like to turn to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews is a book in the New Testament, so you're going right towards the back of your Bible. And uh, this is what we're going to uh, read. We're going to read the first four verses. Long ago... At many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Shall we pray? Father, please help us as we dig into your word this morning. Help us to see Jesus in all his glory as we um, explore this text together this morning. Amen. Yesterday, I took my family out Christmas shopping, and I had in my mind a picture of what the day would look like as we set out. We were going to be walking down the beautifully uh, Christmas light streets and watching brass bands play, and we were going to go into shops and you know, get ideas for Christmas presents, and we were going to end the day with a nice hot chocolate in a cafe somewhere. It was all going to be really civilized. And uh, we, uh, that was the fantasy. And the reality was uh, we started walking down the street, went into one shop, into a toy shop where we stayed for a long, long, long time. And uh, then as soon as we came out of that shop, we were asked, is it time to go home yet? And then we got into the next shop where we actually started to look at some things we might buy for their mum. And they were suggesting all kinds of random things. And, um, and then... We, uh, we got to Primark, and they were complaining so much about their being hungry and thirsty. We actually sat them on the floor in Primark, and they had a ham sandwich on the floor in Primark, gen- genuinely. And uh, by that point, um, my wife and I were losing the will to live, and so we decided that I was going to take them uh, off her hands uh, so she could do Christmas shopping, and so we went to a soft play. I was super dad. I took the kids to soft play. Now, there's two rules of soft play areas. The first rule is never go to a soft play area when it's raining, and it was raining. And the second thing is never go to a soft play area when it's raining, and it's also the busiest shopping day of the year, because it was rammed, okay? So we sat in there, and I basically said goodbye to the children, and I thought I may never see them again. The problem with me when it comes to soft play is that I'm six foot two and I'm nowhere near as flexible as I used to be. I'm slightly overweight. And basically, when my children go in there, I may never see them again. And so getting them out of there is is a massive mission. Getting them out of a soft play area to say, like, kids, we need to go to the toilet or we're going to go home in 10 minutes or whatever it might be is a mission because I can't get in there. Now, what I had, though, was very helpfully, one of my daughters kept on coming out to me and giving me reports about what was going on inside. (laughs) 
She kept on telling me what her brother was up to. I got all of the Lilo down. And when I wanted to communicate something to my son, who's three, I used her as my go-between. I said, listen, can you tell him that it's time he needs to go to the toilet? Can you go and tell him that he needs to go to the toilet? Or can you tell him we've got five minutes before, uh, before we're going to go home, we're going to go find mum? And I used, I used my daughter as a bit of an intermediary. She was a kind of a bit of a prophet, really, sent into an area which I couldn't access, an area that I was incompatible with. I couldn't get in there. I, I try. I've been into soft play areas before. My kids are so encouraging to me. Dad, you, you managed to do it. You managed to get down the slide, which I almost got wedged into. And they're really, really uh, kind to me. But I couldn't get in there. I couldn't get to the deepest, darkest depths of that soft play. And so my daughter was kind of like a prophet going in there. And I was saying, can you give this message to your brother and sister, please? And that is what we've just read about here. That actually over many, many years, over millennia, God spoke into the world. He spoke ultimately through his creation, hasn't he, in the, in the first place, uh, where you know, we can see so much through creation. We can see of God's power, his majesty, his creativity, his glory. We can see these things. The heavens declare the glories of God. But then over many years, he spoke to the people of Israel through prophets who he would take a hold of and give them a message and say, bring this to my people. This was the way it was for many, many years. He communicated through intermediaries. He spoke to Joseph through dreams. He spoke to Moses through a burning bush. He spoke to Elijah with a still, small voice. He spoke through a donkey as well. God had been speaking, but people didn't understand his plan. Even God's prophets, they were imperfect people. There was a guy called Jonah whose attitude really, really was not good. His attitude stunk. He, he didn't want to go and deliver the message uh, that God had given him. And so even God's prophets didn't represent him well. Their heart was often wrong. And then there was 400 years of silence the, the, the period between the Old Testament where God spoke through his prophets and the period to which, in which Jesus came, 400 years of silence. God not speaking into the world at all. And then we see in this passage that in these last days, God has sent his son to deliver a message. It says here, the last days. This is making it clear that when Jesus was born from that point onwards are the last days. That there's no um, kind of third, great third chapter. There was the time before Jesus was born, where God spoke in different ways, and now he's spoken definitively, decisively, in sending his son. There's no sort of great uh, you know, third message that God wants to give. He's spoken a clear and decisive message in sending his son. You might think, wow, it's quite some period, this last days, you know, 2,000 years. And you might be a little cynical about, you know, is this really true? You might think it's a bit like a preacher who you know, comes into land and says, and finally, and you're thinking, we're getting there. And there's another 20 minutes afterwards. In these last days, well, God is saying here through this text that there is no great third message to bring, that actually he's spoken decisively through sending his son. The big thing we see here is that in Jesus' incarnation, that means in him becoming flesh, God has revealed himself directly to us. It's true that God revealed himself through the words spoken by Jesus and through what he did, but much more than that, he spoke through sending his son. Jesus Christ is the living, divine son of God. He did more than just proclaim God's message. 
He is God's message. Jesus came to reveal God, to make him known to us in ways that we can understand. He stepped in to our world. He stepped into the soft play, as it were. He stepped in and spoke directly to us so that there could be no misrepresentation of him. And we see in this passage that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And John's gospel that we um, heard from as we, uh, we started our service last week describes Jesus as God becoming flesh and living amongst us. So if you're wondering what God is like, if you're here this morning and thinking, what is God like? Then you only need to look at Jesus because Jesus is the exact representation of God. This is really clear in the Bible. Jesus affirmed it himself. One of his friends, Philip, said to him, Jesus, when are you going to show us the Father? You talk about him so much. When are we going to get to meet the Father? And Jesus said, the one who has seen me has seen the Father. And in John chapter 10, he says, I and the Father are one. So it's not that Jesus came simply with a message to tell the world. His being sent was a message, a profound message about the nature of God. So I want to unpack three things from this uh, passage in the short time we've got uh, remaining about what God says to us through, through sending Jesus and through this passage. The first thing we note from this passage is that Jesus is the ultimate prophet. He's the ultimate prophet with the ultimate message that God is love. One of the biggest distortions of God, I think, is that we, we sometimes uh, buy the lie that he's just a really angry old guy sitting on a cloud, quite easily agitated, and just waiting for us to screw up so he can pounce on us and punish us for it. That can kind of be some depiction of God in our culture. If God were just a, a, a single person, and a single person who is holy and righteous and angry at sin, then this would be a very frightening thing for us. In fact, that picture may even be legitimate. We wouldn't survive. But the Bible and this Christmas story reveal to us that God, whilst one, is also three. One God, three persons. This is, so, this is where Christianity is unique. I spoke to a guy um, a few weeks ago who was a taxi driver uh, who claimed to be a Muslim, although I don't really think he could legitimately claimed to be Muslim because he was saying, you know, all the Abrahamic faiths, they're kind of the same. Not many Muslims would say that. I don't think he was a, genuinely a Muslim. But the, re the reality is Christianity is very, very different because we believe in God who's one, but it's three. We believe he's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's a loving community. Yes, he's holy. Yes, he's righteous. Yes, he's rightly angry at wrongdoing. But the God that Jesus reveals to us is a loving community. He is love. He is love. Just think about it for a moment. If God was a single person, he could not be love. He could be uh, loving in some way, but he couldn't be defined as love. Because there would have been a time when he had no one to love. There would have been a time where he couldn't have been, in his essence, love. Because there would have been a time where there was no one to love. But because God has always existed as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit... He can rightfully be defined as love. He is love. God is love. And in coming to earth, Jesus shows that the love of God overflows 
to all of creation. God the Father loves the Son. The Son loves the Father. The Father loves the Spirit. The Spirit loves the Father. They all love each other and their love has overflown to creation. And the tragedy is that humanity has rejected God and has rejected his great love for his creation. That's the story of all humanity essentially saying to God that we don't trust him. We don't trust him to satisfy us with his love. We chase after other things. But what does God do in response to that rejection? What is God's response to our rejection of him? Well, our rejection of him drew forth the extreme depths of his love. In his response to humanity's rebellion and wrongdoing, we see deeper than ever into the very being of God. We see even deeper that God is love. That's what the Apostle John says. The guy who said that Jesus, he basically was Jesus' best mate. Now, if you were one of Jesus' disciples and you got to travel around a bit, you'd probably tell people, yeah, I was really tight with Jesus. We were probably like, we were tight mates. We were, we were the best. I think he liked me best. And that's what John says. Okay, so he was really close to Jesus. He's the one who leans his head on Jesus' chest at the, uh, at the Last Supper. That's John. And he, having spent a few years with Jesus, defines God as love. And the measure of love is how much it gives. And the measure of the love of God is the gift of his son to become human, to live in poverty, to live a life where he was rejected even by his own family, where they mocked him, they didn't understand him, where he would be rejected by his friends, where they would leave him and abandon him in his hour of most need. And then he would die for our sins and become a mediator to bring us back into a relationship with God. You might be thinking about this time, um, maybe you're more organized than me, maybe you've got it sorted already, but you might be thinking about the gift that you can give to show your loved ones that you really love them. Well, John writes in 1 John chapter 4, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. The God who is love definitively displays that love to the world by sending his eternally beloved son to atone for our sin. That's something we need to grasp. You need to understand that the father has always loved the son and he's always been fascinated by his son. He's always... that. That Jesus has always satisfied the mind and heart of the Father. And the Father has always satisfied the mind and heart of the Son. They've always loved each other. This makes this story even more profound. That God would give up the very thing that he loves most. He'd give up the very thing that he has enjoyed for all eternity. That's a precious gift, isn't it? That's a precious gift. Sometimes we find ourselves, you know, tiring of Christianity, getting bored, and we think, wow, is it, I feel like I, need, I've no, I know all that I could possibly know. Well, for eternity, the Father has been fascinated with the Son. For eternity, the Son has been fascinated with the Father. There's so much more for us to know. And yet we think in our arrogance and our ignorance, we think, well, I think I've got it all now. I think I've got it all sussed. This God gave himself. He gave his Son. That's how much of a gift it was. It was God giving of himself. And even in this nativity story, we get a glimpse of the fact that Jesus came to die. Yes, he came to live a a glorious life, a life of 
uh, perfection in every way. Yes, he came to heal and set people free. Yes, he came to uh, demonstrate that the kingdom of God has now broken out on this earth. He came to do all of those things, but ultimately he came to die. He came to die. And even at his birth, the gifts that the, the Magi brought him, one of them was myrrh. And we see myrrh popping up a few times in the Gospels. Firstly, they brought it to him at his birth. It's quite a strange thing to bring a baby. You might think a nice baby growl or something, something to keep him warm. They brought him myrrh. And we see it popping up later on in his life. As he's on the cross, they offer him, to drink, they offer him myrrh to drink. And then as he, and he, as he dies, Nicodemus, who's a guy that he, he's sort of secretly following Jesus, he comes to cover Jesus in myrrh, to embalm his body. This was, even at his birth, there was echoes of what was to come. There was foreshadowing of what was to come, that he was coming to die. We see even at the outset of his life, and Jesus knew it, throughout his life, that ultimately he would lay his life down because he came to make an end to all of our sin. Or in this passage's words, he came to make purification for sin by dying on a cross. Without the cross, we could never have imagined the depth and seriousness of what it means to say that God is love. This is how we know what love is. Jesus came and laid down his life for us. And in Jesus coming to earth and he's dying on the cross, we see the intensity. We see the strength of God's love. You might be doubting his, the strength of his love this morning. You might be thinking, I've gone too far this time. I've wandered so far. I don't think God's love is this strong. No, his love is this strong that he would face death. He would battle death. He would go to the grave. That's how strong his love is. It's not a watered down love. And the New Testament writers, they constantly point back to the cross. You want to know what the love of God is like? See the cross. If you want to know what it's like, see this. This is love. The Father sent his Son to make himself known. And the thing that he wanted us to know more than anything is that he is love. That is what defines him. His love for the world overflows into his creation. So Jesus is the true prophet. He truly, perfectly represents God's love to the world, but he's also our priest. Jesus is a priest, and he tells us that the job is done. In this passage that we've read, having taken upon himself the sins of the world, all of the things that we've done and said and thought that we should never have done, that we should never have even entertained in our mind, all of those things that you can think of maybe even this week, all of those things he took upon himself, he took the punishment upon himself for those things. All of the things we should have said and we didn't speak up because we were too cowardly. The things we should have done, but we were too lazy. All of these things, all these sins, this wrongdoing, he took it upon himself. And having taken it upon himself, he cried out in agony on the cross, It is finished. It is finished. And he breathed his last. And darkness covered the land. But we know, as we sung about it this morning, that the the ground shook. The the stone was rolled away. Jesus rose from the grave. He victoriously emerged from the grave. And what we read here is in the Bible that he spent time with his followers for a few weeks. And then he ascended to heaven. And he sat down. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. His job is done. 
He's not sat down on some subs bench somewhere, having played 60 minutes, scored a hat-trick, and now he just gets to sit on the bench. No, he's seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. He's seated in the highest place. You might think there's still loads of work to be done. You might think, well, I'm looking at my life. This isn't job done, surely. This is what God's got for me. This can't be job done. Well, it's, in one sense, it really is done. It really, really is done. In another, in another sense, there's still more work to do. To help us understand this, it will help us just to go to Hebrews chapter 10 very quickly, where we see again another, um, another line where it says that Jesus sat down. This is the way of old, okay? Listen to this, verse 11. Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. That was the old way. That was the way the people of God had to approach God before. The priest every day making sacrifices, which could never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So you and I have been perfected for all time. If you have placed your faith in Jesus, if you said, I know I have got it wrong, you have to humble yourself. You have to say, I know that I haven't got it all together and I trust in you, Jesus. If that's you, if you trusted in what he's done for you, then you've been perfected for all time. That's quite striking, isn't it? Because we well know our imperfections. We well know the things that we get wrong. And yet, in God's sight, you have been perfected for all time. That's really good news. Not just forgiven, not just pardoned, not just made acceptable. Not just made acceptable, perfected for all time. That means you can come into God's presence in the same way that his son can come into his presence. The son who's been eternally in relationship with him. You, know, you need to grasp this. You've been perfected for all time. That's really good news. You're not just acceptable to God. He beckons you to him. He beckons you. We sing that song, don't we, sometimes, that heaven beckons me. He beckons you to come to him. He wants you. He wants you to come to him. You've been perfected for all time. If you've placed your faith in Jesus, you've been made completely right with God. He wants to shower love on you. You don't just have in your pocket a ticket that one day when you die, you can present at the gate of heaven and say, yeah, I think I've got this from a few years ago. You know, can I come in, please? No, you've been given uh, entrance into God's presence for all time. And you can know him as your father. This is really good news. This is so good. How is this possible? By faith. This is how we're saved. This is how we're made perfect for all time by Jesus offering the sacrifice that was necessary once. Once. He did it once. He didn't need to do it again and again and again and again. He did it once. So in that sense, the job is done. It is done. All the work necessary for you to know God perfectly is done. It sounds too good to be true, but it's true. It's true. Now in another sense... The job isn't done because you're still being sanctified. That's what this passage has told us. In dying for us, Jesus covered our sins so completely that it can be said that we are perfected before God. But God is uniting you in a saving relationship and you are given the Holy Spirit. 
who starts to live within you. And he starts to bring about change in your life. And so for the rest of your life, if you're a Christian, it's about change. It's about change. And he's changing you more and more to have the heart of Christ. So for those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus, you're being changed from one degree of glory to another. I want to bring out one final thing from this passage. So Jesus is the prophet. He comes to perfectly represent God. There's no miscommunication here. There's no misunderstanding. There's no Chinese whispers going on here. No, Jesus comes to perfectly represent God and he brings a message of God's great love for the world. And he's the priest who makes one offering for all time to perfect all those who place their faith in him. But listen, he's the prophet, he's the priest, but he's also the king. Jesus is the king, completely in control. We read it here. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Earlier on, he says that he upholds the universe by the word of his power. The whole universe is hanging on the word of Jesus to have its existence. Jesus is the king of all kings. He's the Lord of all lords. He's the one who is seated now in all authority. You need to know you cannot control your own life. You don't know what's going to happen in your life. You don't know what's going to happen. But there's one who is in control, who knows the beginning from the end. And not only is he in all authority and power, he's also the one who has given himself for you. And so it's, it's him that you can trust. It's him that you can trust because he's in all authority and power. He's seated at the right hand of the majesty on high and he has given himself for you. So you, can never, you, don't, you never need to doubt his goodness. You never need to know, oh, what's going to happen in my life? Well, no, you can say, this king stepped into the world and gave himself for me and he's perfected me. He's, he's paid for my sin. I can trust him with my life. I don't know what's going to happen in two weeks' time. I don't know what's going to happen in two years' time. But I can trust this king with my life. He is completely trustworthy. He's the king of all kings. He doesn't make promises that he doesn't keep. Politicians do that all the time, don't they? Make promises that they don't keep. Our country's in a bit of a mess because people make promises and they can't really keep them. And yet Jesus doesn't make promises that he cannot keep. Jesus is the king of all kings. He's in control. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. You can trust him with your life. And I want you to just take that to your heart right now. Maybe even as we sing in a moment, maybe the band could be ready to lead us. As we sing in a moment, you can just say, Jesus, you are my, you're my priest. You're the, one who've, you're the one who's paid for my sin. You might say, Jesus, you're the prophet. You've shown me who God really is. But you're my king. You're my king. Engage with those, with those truths as we sing in a moment. Engage with them where you are. Just, just say to him, Jesus, no one's going to listen. No one's listening to you apart from him. As we're singing, just whatever it might be, you might think right now, I just know ah, because of the things I've done, I just need to, I need to come back to this truth that Jesus has perfected me once and for all time. And there's nothing I can do. There's nothing that I can do uh, to make God love me more. There's nothing that I can do. It might be that you engage with the truth that Jesus is the king on the throne. Jesus, the king, is drawing together a people for himself from every nation 
and into the midst of the chaos of this world, he stepped down. And into the midst of the chaos of this world, he will come again. Not as a helpless baby, not as a baby dependent on his mum for life and nourishment, but actually as the king in all his glory. In Luke chapter 21, I want to just finish by reading this to you. Jesus has described all kinds of disasters that will come to pass. And then he says this in Luke uh, 21 verse 27. At that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. There will be a second appearing. Jesus will come in his glory and will defeat darkness once and for all. He's already defeated it. He'll destroy it, I should say. He's already defeated darkness, but he will destroy it and make all things new. You need to know this Jesus as your prophet, your priest, and your king. If you're you're not a Christian here this morning, you, you probably know if you're not. You probably think, well, I don't really get this. I don't I haven't ever made this decision for myself. Right now, as we sing, we're gonna sing, Come Lord Jesus. You can say, Come Lord Jesus, into my life, change me. And I'd love it if you could tell me, if you've done that, tell me. Or tell someone that you came with. But please don't don't keep it to yourself. Tell someone and we can help you grow in this faith. Should we stand together? Father, we declare that you are so good to us. We we say that you are love. Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we thank you so much that Jesus has come into the world to declare that you are love, to make payment for our sin, to purify us, to make us perfect in your sight. And you're not done with us. You're making us more and more like Jesus every day. And you will come again, Lord Jesus, in your glory. You will come again. And you will will have a people for yourself from every nation, tribe and tongue and you will be glorified in all the earth. So we lift your name together now. You come and just bring these truths home to our hearts as we sing. Come and bring these truths home to our hearts. In Jesus' name we ask you, be glorified amongst us. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. Please feel free to make a copy of this content, but please do not edit the content in any way.